Welcome to Grant Writing Simplified with Teresa Huff. If you're a freelance grant writer, an aspiring grant writer, or wondering if a career in grant writing is right for you, you're in the right place. For more great resources on grant writing, head over to TeresaHuff.com. But before you do, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the great videos to come. Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Welcome back, friends. If you are trying to break into grant writing, I want to invite you to join me on the Fast Track to Grant Writer VIP program. This is a great time to jump in and learn some pro grant writing skills this fall so that you can hit the ground running in 2023. I am rolling out some new features, some real world practice to help you gain traction and build your successful grant writing career. You can sign up and start learning today at teresahuff.com VIP. Today I am talking with a special guest and this is kind of in line with the fundraising series that we have been talking about and finding other ways that we can support nonprofits as well in addition to grant writing. We've been talking about lean startups and fundraising plans, major gifts, different types of fundraising, corporate sponsorships and corporate donations and partnerships. And so I want to continue that thread because as you are thinking about your year-end goals and your plan for next year, these are some ideas and some elements that you can be incorporating into that and thinking through with your board and as a team. Today, I am talking with an expert that I always enjoy sitting down with. I'm interviewing Katie Appold. She is the executive director of Nonprofit Hub. This is the nonprofit behind the nationally recognized programs Cause Network and Cause Camp. Katie has spent over 20 years in the nonprofit sector, serving in leadership roles at foundations, publishers, and community-based causes. So she has tons of experience and brings a variety of knowledge. Katie is also the host of the Good to Growth podcast, which I was a guest on back in August. So you can catch that interview where we've flipped the tables and I was in the hot seat. She is also a member of several nonprofit professional organizations and is an active volunteer. And she really has a heart to serve nonprofits, as you'll hear in this interview. And she has such encouragement and words of wisdom. So I hope this leaves you feeling inspired and refreshed from this conversation. Katie, welcome. I have been looking forward to this for a long time, and I'm glad to have you. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Oh, goodness. You know what? I just had to answer this question for, I I teach a nonprofit leadership class, and the orientation, they asked us to do this. I eat, this is kind of a gross fact, um, depending on how you feel about vegetables and whatnot, 
I eat a bag of avocados every week, which is like anywhere from four to six avocados or like an avocado a day. Wow. And I just said that I actually don't know that an avocado is considered a vegetable, but to me it is. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, isn't it one of the superfoods? So you should be like way healthy. You know, my husband always says like everything in proportion. So I may be taking it to an unhealthy level, but I really, I enjoy avocados. Yeah. And maybe when you were little, the, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Maybe you heard it as an avocado a day. So there you go. Yeah. Actually, funny thing. I never had an avocado until I was probably 35 years old. I think I probably couldn't afford them before then. And now it's like, oh, give me as much as I can. Yeah. I don't remember them really being popular growing up until just like the last few years. So maybe it's caught on. You're, you'll start a yeah. new trend. There you go. That, that's what I'll be known for is setting the avocado trend. There we go. <laughs> well, you're also setting a lot of nonprofit trends with some of the work you're doing. So tell us a little bit about your work and why nonprofits specifically? Well, nonprofits for me is kind of been where my career has led um, with with some intentionality. You know, I, I started out working for a for-profit business consulting firm, and I found that I spent all my time on the nonprofit clients because we always tend to lean into what we like doing the most. And that was a pretty clear sign to me. So I, I went to grad school for that and continued to build a career in the sector. Now today I work at Nonprofit Hub, which is, we call it the Nonprofit Toolbox. It's a large educational platform for nonprofit leaders, nonprofit professionals. And you know, I do it because I identify with our audience. I was once the executive director Googling how to write a grant or how to ask a donor for money. And I was the, you know, I was the person who was looking up Robert's rules before I walked into a board meeting. And I remember feeling those pressures and feeling that uncertainty. So the fact that I get to work for a platform that now answers those questions and provides those resources and most of the time does it for free, man, it's, I, I don't know that I could have a better day job. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And that's so relatable. <laughs> Those things you're saying. I know people Google stuff all the time. I was talking to a, someone yesterday wanting to learn grant writing. And she had said, because I told her back when I was starting out, we didn't have Google yet. And so I couldn't yeah. just look stuff up. And she said, yeah, now there's so much when you Google it, you don't even know where to start. It's overwhelming. And I said, probably so same as you, that's exactly why I wanted to create some of these resources. And you guys have some amazing stuff there where you've really broken it down into practical steps. Well, we have some of your stuff too, because we, yeah. we know you are an authoritative voice on your area of expertise. And, you know, that's the thing. There's so much out there, but there's so much, I'm just going to call it junk out there too. I mean, the internet can be a black hole when you're looking for, you know, how to something. Right. And so giving nonprofit pros a single destination where they can find reliable information and experts like yourself. I mean, that's, I think we're really filling a gap. 
Yes. And that's been such a fun collaboration to work with your team, but I agree. And saving that time of not having to sift through the information. I mean, we are capable of figuring out, okay, which thing is right, which thing is not quite on point, but it takes so long to do that. If we can go to a trusted place where it's already been pre-filtered and we can just go right to the spaces we need, then that's so much more helpful. And you having that perspective of having been in the trenches really helps because you know those struggles, you know what they're Googling and trying to figure out, how do I run a meeting? How do I address the board? <laughs> how do I put together a report? All the parts. It's shocking yes. how some things never change over time. You know, I the first, the first board meeting I ever went into was probably 15 years ago now. And the things I struggled with are still the things that, you know, EDs and CEOs are dealing with today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So what would you recommend for someone in those shoes? Just having been there yourself, what would you say to them as far as like how to not be so overwhelmed or how to juggle all the moving parts? You know, I would recommend, and I can only recommend what's worked for me. I have no statistical proof that this is a way to, you know, balance everything, but time blocking is, I think, crucial when you're leading a nonprofit, but time blocking specifically to allow you to prepare. So mm -hmm. if you have a meeting, whether it's a meeting with a donor or a meeting with the board, make sure you have 30 to 60 minutes ahead of time so that you go in feeling comfortable relaxed and informed. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that any nonprofit professional can do to set themselves up for success is go in knowing as much as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. You know, I always tell this story. Um, I, you know, when I first started working for the organization I'm at now, which we, I came to I came to be at Nonprofit Hub through a merger situation, and the organization I worked for before was led by a very, um, very almost famous marketing professional who is very exuberant. He'd done marketing for 30 plus years. You know, he could work a room. Anytime he walked into a room, we used to say he, he sucked the air out of it um, in a good way. but. I used to really struggle with walking into meetings until I realized he's only relying on the stories he knows and some lines that he says. I can go in knowing more about who we're meeting with and more about the topic. Not to compete, but just to hold my own. And so preparation, I think, is a crucial element of success for anyone who is heading into uncharted territory. And if you're leading a nonprofit, I don't care who you are, you're going into uncharted territory. <laughs> so true. That's a really good reminder, especially I know for me, I'm more of a thinker and I need to process before I respond to certain things. So that's really helpful to think about in those terms of thinking things through, getting my bearings before just jumping into a meeting cold. Yeah. And taking some deep breaths too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what you said about being deliberate about setting that time aside, because it is easy to get caught up in putting out fires and the day-to-day -day things happening. And then before you know it, oh, the meeting starts in five minutes, I got to go. 
and then you're just running and not prepared. So that does help just take a breath and take time to repair, prepare without feeling guilty. Exactly. I mean, that's the big thing or one of the big things that COVID and this deep step into the virtual remote meeting um, world into Zoom has robbed us of is Mm -hmm. the cushion time we used to have because we were commuting or we were even walking between meetings down a hall or into a different section of the building. When we're doing things remotely, which I know many of us still go into the office, but we're still taking remote meetings, we tend to overbook ourselves. We're going back to back to back. And I think that leads to mental fatigue, but we're never, we're also never showing up at our best. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's an important conversation to acknowledge and to keep having, because I think that's having an underlying hidden impact that maybe people are not fully recognizing or giving it the impact that it deserves to realize, okay, we need to stop and take those breaks and let people take breaks without making them feel guilty or they're less of a team player for it. We just need, we're still humans and we need to walk around the block or to get away from a screen for a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the most, um, some of the most like engaging and I just think of as successful leaders, I know, take a walk break. They literally go out of their office or out of their home and over lunch, they walk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fresh air, clear mind, all of that. It's so simple, but yet (laughs) so overlooked. And I know some days I just get busy and caught up and before I know it, oh, wait, the day's almost over and I need to schedule it in and set an alarm and treat it like an appointment in my calendar. Amen. Yes, we all do. Yeah. Now, I know that you have worked with a lot of nonprofits in different capacities and you have seen a lot of the same types of misconceptions that I have with the grant world. And I'd love to dig into that a little bit just to compare notes and to see what types of things you have seen. Is there something you've heard quite a bit that people seem to assume about grants? You know, I, the biggest one, um, And I think this is fairly well known now. I think we're disproving it through experience, but the the notion that there's a startup grant or a grant for operations that is common and easy to get, you know, I would say at Nonprofit Hub, that's probably the request for grant writing information we get the most is who, who does startup grants. And I'm not gonna say no one because somebody out there does a startup grant, but it's not pervasive and not to be overly brutal with the truth, but you know, those are the exceptions and you, my friend talking to all nonprofits are the rule. Um, it's just not common. (laughs) Thank you for backing up what I've been saying. (laughs) We did not compare notes on this. This is straight, like from your mouth. I did not prep you. Just to verify that. But yeah, I've been saying that too. And it's so unfortunate because I think once in a while, we might hear of that unicorn where this one nonprofit got a startup grant. But if you really dug into that, you might find out 
okay, they had a relationship with a corporate sponsor or with a certain place that was looking to, excuse me, that was looking to start something like that in the community. And they were able to build that relationship and get the funding based on that. So maybe they're calling in a grant when it wasn't a fully traditional competitive startup, competitive grant process, like most grants would be. And so it's a little bit of a misconception that is fueled by situations like that, where sometimes they may say, oh, we got a grant. And yeah, maybe they granted you money, but it wasn't what we think of as a grant. So that's a common one that I hear as well. People looking for, we're starting a nonprofit. Let's get a grant to get all the money and get going. The best is when they think the government's going to fund it. Like, oh, yes. oh, boy. Yes. We got to back up even more. Right. You know, you touched on the other the other big thing that we deal with, um, or we hear, we refer people to you, um, is that a grant is all about the paper or all about the form. And really, it's like most philanthropy, it starts with a relationship. Absolutely. And if you don't have a relationship, even if it's just that initial connection with a foundation to do an introduction, I don't know any stats off the top of my head, but I think your odds of getting an award are very slim without that. It helps so much because there's people on the other side of the equation on both sides and they want to see, can we trust you? Who are you? Do you have the capacity for this? Are you going to carry this out? Can you sustain it beyond the grant award? They want to be a part of it, not the sole part of it. So that's where the big difference lies. Yeah. Yeah. We forget that there's, there's humans behind, um, behind these awards. Yes. You know, I, um, I am thinking about one example. I, I worked with an organization that went for a very competitive grant, but it was um, you submitted a PDF, a compilation of documents, and they had me review it before they sent it in. And um, it was all all just sterile. It was a formatted Word document pushed into PDF, black and white, sterile, I guess is the best word I can think about or think of for it. And their marketing director said, you know, I think we would have a better chance if we styled this up, if we really branded it and made it look compelling and threw some images in there. And I very wrongly said, it won't matter. It's a grant. It's about the facts. It's, it's good. They're going to reject it if you make it too pretty. And thank God they didn't listen to me. And they went style berserk on the thing. And it ended up being, it was beautiful. Um, it was a showcase piece that they actually shared with donors, but they won a hugely competitive grant. And I have to think some of it was that it was beautiful and they're Mm -hmm. talking to humans. There were humans on the other end of that grant process that appreciated the effort and the style that went into it. What a good example. And that also is a great example of knowing when to follow the rules to a T, which is super important with grants, but Mm -hmm. also knowing when to be creative and pull in some of those things that are going to make you stand out. And knowing your funder will help a lot in being able to gauge 
the difference and the degree that you can push that creative license also and bring in some personality. So true. I mean, think about it. If they hadn't connected with that funder first and say they weren't accepting anything other than black and white documents, you know, it would have automatically gotten rejected. Mm -hmm. But because they talked to the funder, I assume that funder would have called them and said, hey, this is gorgeous, but tone it down. Mm -hmm. You know, we just just the facts, ma'am. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That's a huge key, communicating with the funder. And they will often tell you they're there to help and they're there to provide that input and feedback as you're crafting the project. So use that resource. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, um, it's a little bit more time intensive, but mm -hmm. if you're going to do it, you might as well really go for it. Oh, it's worth it. That little bit of time up front can make or break your funding prospects. And, mm -hmm. you know, even though like say worst case scenario, that application was rejected. You said they still ended up with a beautiful document that they could share with other donors. So it wouldn't have been wasted. It still would have been something they could adapt and share and use that work in other ways and repurpose that. Absolutely. That, I mean, you, you, I'm guessing will affirm this, but organizations that get grant funding have some of the most organized fundraising assets of any nonprofits out there. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't get the award, having your charitable license and your bylaws and your board list and all of those components and pieces, having your narrative all put together, it, I mean, obviously it, it stinks if you don't get the grant award, but there's some value in getting your ducks in a row and being prepared for the next opportunity or for the next donor conversation. Completely. And that's one reason I stress so much of the grant strategy and grant readiness and looking at the whole picture, because otherwise you're going to be scrambling and pulling things together last minute. It's going to be a mess. And that's going to show that's going to reflect in the quality of your work. So if you want to position yourself more strategically for better chances of success, there are so many other elements that need to come into play. And that speaks directly to that. Yeah, absolutely. If only every nonprofit had somebody to manage all of their, their fundraising assets. Oh my, wouldn't that make life so much easier to be able to hand some of that off? Yeah, yeah. Well, I know along with the myths, you also have a pretty good ear to the ground in the nonprofit space. Are there any trends that you have been seeing lately that are of interest that you'd like to point out or share? Well, we've been, so we've been partnering with Firespring and um, they have done a ton of research on the overhead myth. And so oh. we've been publishing a lot of content around that and you know, it's funny, I was working on a presentation this morning about that, but about how nonprofits actually have a big role in perpetuating this myth. And for those who don't know, the overhead myth is that um, donors don't want to fund overhead expenses. And overhead can be your technology, your leadership salaries, um, administrative staff, non-programmatic expenses. Mm -hmm. Even your bills and your utilities and 
building space. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And even fundraising costs can be considered overhead. And it's interesting. Um, there was a study. It's, it's been probably about 20 years now, and I'm hoping they update it. But nonprofits don't accurately disclose their fundraising and overhead expenses on their 990, which perpetuates this myth that it takes very little to do so much. And so one of the trends that I don't see it yet, but I'm hoping to help push it, is that we all need to be more aggressive in conveying reality to our funders, whether it's grantors or individuals, private foundations. I think we need to get really comfortable with telling them exactly what we need and what execution is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And it will take some major players um, making some aggressive strides before this really takes shape. But I think I think it'll happen eventually. I'm so glad you said this. And it's so ironic because I literally just got off a call with a client right before this interview and we were discussing this and they were saying, so what's a typical nonprofit overhead? So I stepped on my little soapbox and said, well, the industry says this, but here's the reality. And there's a disconnect between the two. So I am really glad you brought this up because I think we need to keep having these conversations and keep bringing this to the light so that people can start to think about it and not just take it at face value. Oh, this one has low overhead. They're going to be a better nonprofit than that one. When really we need to dig much deeper and dig into what are the expenses like? What does it take to run the nonprofit? What kind of impact are they making? I would challenge every nonprofit to reserve space on either their about page or their fundraising page or their financials, wherever wherever they feel it's appropriate, but somewhere where donors and foundations go to find more information, I would encourage them to include a blurb about how they are transparent, forthright, and 100% accurate in how they convey their administrative, their fundraising, and all overhead costs and to push the envelope a little bit because we need it for you know, sure. A reason. I think fundraising pros turn over what, like every 18 months. Yes. And it's, that's a, a really unfortunate use of resources as well, because then you're having to retrain, rehire, yeah. go through that process all over again, instead of having a stable organization. And so we need to dig deeper. It's a symptom of yes. the, the issue, you know, where we're working these people to death because yes. we can't get funding for what we need to stay, stay operational. Right. Oh yeah. This is the soapbox. All right. You're hitting on big things that I, that keep bugging me. And like, you're hitting all these pain points that I hear so often. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation because we need to talk about it more and people need to hear and understand it that, oh, this isn't normal. It may be common, but it's not ideal. It's not how it should be. And we can step it up. Yeah. Just because it's common does not mean it's right. Um, exactly. We want to err on the side of right. Yes. And always improving because if we just stick with the status quo thinking, yeah, it's fine. It's how it's done or this is how it should be because that's what everybody else is doing. We're not going to make progress. 
if we want to step it up, we've got to do different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know you have a lot of really cool resources that you all are working on, and I would love for you to share more about those and talk about Cause Camp and the cool experience that it is. It's not just a conference, it's an experience. So tell us about all the things you have going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Cause Camp is our flagship. Um, That is the one conference we do every year. And it's been named by Forbes as one of the must-attend events for nonprofit professionals. And And for good reason. For good reason. It's, you know, this is not, um, I'm not going to call out any other conferences, but it's very laid back. Um, It's laid back, but with a high degree of professional content. So the nice thing is, no matter if you're a fundraiser, a leader, we actually have a really strong percentage the board members that show up, you're going to find a track or a session that applies to you. And you're also going to get encouragement. Um, When we put our agenda together, we try to make it a good balance between inspirational and uplifting and just downright, you need to know this. Um, Because we want to make sure that we're equipping our attendees, but we're also, we want to encourage the sector. We want it to be a rising tide movement. Mm I feel like it's a refreshing event. It is. It's refreshing. It's fun. Um, We go to great lengths to make sure the food is like better than anything you're going to have anywhere else. Um, That part of that is our leadership. We go to man, we go to every conference and miscellaneous chicken and, you know, cold coffee. Those aren't our jam. So we try <laughs> to make sure that we are we are raising the bar on the conference experience as well as the content. Awesome. And, you know, in the business world, that wouldn't fly. It would not be very successful. And so why do we settle in the nonprofit world? I love that you're raising the bar and that you're treating our frontline people who are working so hard, like come in and get the best experience possible. So that's awesome. That is the goal. That is the goal. We recognize most nonprofit pros are probably only going to go to one conference per year. And we want to make sure if they invest in Cause Camp, they're getting some respite as well as that encouragement and education they need. Yeah. And I'm glad you're recognizing the importance of that. Such a good thing. And I know behind the scenes, like I just see snippets here and there, but I know your team works so hard for a year ahead of time before the event and even longer. So it's incredible. Literally like cause camp, the next one is coming up in September of um, 2023. And you and I are talking today. It's almost September of 2022. So yeah. um, The good news is if you are interested in cause camp, we have a little secret that we're sharing on our website. So you can go check it out. Um, Tickets aren't officially on sale yet, but like I said, there's a secret Mm -hmm. out there. Nice. And you can check it out at um, cause.camp. Super simple URL. Nice. Awesome. I'll link to that for sure. Cause I know people want to check that out and get in early so you can grab tickets when those open up. And that's, yeah, just something that I know often we have to evaluate location price. How often can we travel? But 
there are certain ones that are really worth investing in. And I strongly recommend considering this because I know it's well done. And like you said, just a, a refreshing break to get away and be with other people who are doing the same type of work. And it's really encouraging. Yeah. Find your tribe. That's, yes. that's the big thing. Yes. And that makes all the difference. It does. It does. Well, well thanks for letting me, thanks for letting me push cause camp. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to make sure and give that one a plug because it's such a cool event and such a fun resource. Like the way you pulled in the playfulness, but also the professionalism, it's a really good blend. It is. It is. And, you know, I have to give credit to those who came before me because cause camp is now, I think this next one will be our 23rd year. Wow. So this is not a flash in the pan conference or something that's new and trending. Um, this is substantial and established and trending. Wow. It's legit. Yeah. Very good. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear from you if you would share a resource that has been meaningful to you in your journey. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, let me think. Take your time. Okay. I do, I do have one. So another organization that nonprofit hub partners with quite a bit. Um and I would say, you know, we publish a lot of content on boards that is um, taking a position or is fairly entry level. So like an intro to Robert's Rules or whatnot. One of the resources that I have found most helpful when I get into um, legal issues or get into board operations at a higher level is probably board source. Um, and I think it's a fairly well-known name in the nonprofit sector, but for those who haven't heard of it, and even if you're not a CEO or an ED, you should understand the board's role in your organization. I would strongly encourage everyone to kind of bookmark that site. Again, great for research, great for looking up the law, which is important to know um, and has just been a great asset for me. Mm, that's a good one. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have used that for reference a couple of times with clients as I'm helping them navigate like certain pieces of maybe their policies or setting up their board for growth in different aspects. But that's a really good one that I need to go in and tap into that more often because it is such a reliable, wide wealth of information. It is. And it's it's pretty easy to navigate to, which is nice. Yeah. Well, where can people find you online if they want to connect and learn more, not just Cause Camp, but also you and the work you're doing with Nonprofit Hub? Sure. So Nonprofit Hub's URL is nonprofithub.org. Super simple. Um, if you visit there and you don't see something you like, come back tomorrow because we publish new content every single day. It's exhausting, but it's worth awesome. it. Wow. And then they can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not, I am not a social, this is a bad joke. I'm not a social climber. That's what we say on our team. <laughs> um, but I am on LinkedIn and I do try to post fairly frequently. So you have good stuff there and you all also offer quite a few free webinars that are really useful on a lot of good nonprofit topics, just really practical. So I encourage people to check that out too. Thank you. Yeah, every week, new webinar, and most are CFRE approved. So if that's oh. something you're looking to earn, um, 
it's, it's a great resource. Nice. Okay. Well, very good. Well, thank you for coming on and for all the great information you shared and for commiserating about the myths that we often see. It's good to talk with someone else who's also seen it. And it's not just in my head. <laughs> it was my pleasure, Teresa. I adore everything you do, including this podcast. So it's a pleasure uh, to be part of it. Thank you. It's great to collaborate. We'll stay in touch. All right. What did you think? What was your favorite takeaway from our conversation today? I would love to hear, and I would love for you to reflect on the things Katie shared, the encouragement she gave, and the tips that she gave. Was there anything that surprised you? Let me know. I would love to hear your biggest takeaway. So come shoot me a message on LinkedIn or on my website contact form, and let's hear it. Let's keep the conversation going. If you are wondering if grant writing is right for you, go take my quiz at teresahuff.com quiz. And it goes through, do you have what it takes to be a grant writer? I'd love for you to share this with a friend if this was helpful and let's spread all the resources and support that we can for nonprofits around the world. All right, friends, have a great week and go change your world. Your world.